I don't really think of retirement necessarily as something you do that's binary. It needs to be thought of as transitioning from working full time in a traditional environment to other ways of working and other ways of living where you might be in and out of the workforce, doing different things, taking time out until eventually you stop working completely. Hi, everyone. Welcome to How to Live, a podcast that explores ways to live a good life. I'm your host, Sharad Lal. This is episode 28. What could early retirement look like? How should we think about retirement? That's the topic of today's podcast. We have with us Susie Babani. Susie describes herself as an adventurer at large. Eight years back, she was at the top of the corporate ladder. Global Chief HR for ANZ Bank, reporting to the global CEO, looking after an organization of over 50,000 people spread across the world. Susie's worked in the UK, Australia, China, Philippines, Canada, and the United States, leading the HR function and being the COO of various businesses. She's been a pioneer in a conservative industry, banking. Back in 2015, she brought in gender-balanced hiring, supported pride parades, and pushed the bank towards social media, herself becoming a LinkedIn power profile. Susie then opted for early retirement, and for the past seven years, she's been traveling the world and spending time with friends across the globe. She's been to over 125 countries at the time of recording, with plans for many more in the future. In this episode, Susie and I talk about how should we think about early retirement? What are the options of transitioning from a full-on career to retirement? How can retirement life be both fun and stimulating? We will cover this and a lot more. Susie is such an inspiration. Having worked really hard, she excelled and reached the top of the banking industry. Then she flipped her life around, retired early and started living her dream life. Luxury travel, study, meaningful experiences, fun with friends and more. But before getting to the interview, here's thanking all of you for supporting this podcast. With your support, we hit number three in Singapore, we're top 5% globally and are listened to in over 65 countries and over 500 cities. Please do consider giving us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Thank you in advance. Now here's the interview. Hi, Susie. Welcome to How to Live. How are you doing this morning? Hi, Sharad. Thanks for having me on. And I'm doing very well, thank you, from not so sunny London, but no surprises there. No surprises. <laughs> and I know London is a place where you come to do your laundry, to get things in order. And then, of course, you go out traveling. And we're going to get into your traveling and retirement life. But before we get there, if we can turn the clock back a few years I think it was seven years. You were at the top of your game with ANZ Bank. You were the global head HR reporting to the global CEO for an organization with over 50,000 people working under you. Having reached the top at that time, I know you had various options available to you. What were those options and how did you evaluate the next step in life? As is often the case, I didn't end up doing what I thought I might do. But essentially, there was a new CEO in the role. It was an internal appointment. I'd done this role for about eight years, and I knew I didn't want to do another seven years, which I expected the new CEO to want. I joined with a brand new CEO, and I felt it would be fine for me to move on. I was trying to make a list as I was thinking about this. First of all, I was doing the same somewhere else, so being another global head of HR. But quite honestly, it didn't interest me. I felt that part of my life was done and dusted. And I didn't really need to do more of the same. 
finally done too many reorganizations and centralizations and decentralizations. You're like, I really don't want to do any more. Thank you very much. So that was off the agenda. I also looked briefly at being a consultant, very briefly. I have to say, I, I used a lot of consultants in my professional career, and I'm not that wild on them. And I suppose that's because I prefer to execute strategy again, rather than have people pontificate about what should be done, usually at a vast cost. So I didn't feel I could really be a consultant. I'm too much of a execution person. One of the things I did look at seriously, and I don't know how common this is in uh, Singapore, but it's certainly big in the UK and Europe. And I think starting in Australia too is interim management. So that's where you would go into a company for a period of say up to six months and help them with whatever issues they're dealing with. And there's quite a lot of demand for that, especially for functional people like HR, finance, risk, compliance, because those skills are actually quite portable. So I did do quite a lot of investigating into that. I used my networks and got intros to anyone who either facilitated those kind of assignments or had done it themselves. Um, and it is quite a useful way to fund semi-retirement because you can work as and when you choose, although once you're committed to an assignment, you've obviously got to stick with it to build up your reputation. But then you can get income to fund other things you might like to do for the rest of the time. And actually, I have a very good friend who does that also in HR he works about six to eight months a year and has done this for about four or five years. So he's getting a good reputation as someone that can do stuff that needs doing. It might be finding a new HR head or dealing with a senior reorganization. And he picks and chooses his assignments now, the ones that interest him and the companies that interest him. And he's pretty good at not at sticking to not taking everything he's offered because he could work full time if he wanted to. I certainly looked at it in quite a lot of detail, but then I knew I wanted to spend more time traveling and learning and reading and just to be. So I got to the point of realizing that any work would interfere with that. <laughs> and so I know I would find it very hard not to be 150% committed to any job I did. And I'd be back to where I was and I'd probably be charging for only the hours I was meant to be, but working twice as long. So I discarded that. I looked at part-time, but similar issues, really. It's obviously similar to interim, but it's more fixed. And it does give you steady work and more free time that you can start to do other things. But again, wasn't going to work for me with travel. I looked at volunteering. And that's something I'd still like to do, especially anything involved with museums, art, or even tourism, quite honestly. I like people. <laughs> but again, not easy to do if you're not in one place, because if you volunteer, you've got to commit for certain hours. And if you're not there, that's a problem. Obviously, everyone said to me, oh, Susie, you've got to go on a board. That's what everybody does. And again, I did a lot of research. Again, used all my contacts in search consultancies, people that were already on boards, anyone that knew anybody in the UK, Australia, Asia, Dubai, everywhere that I happened to be traveling, I would meet people in that first year of travel just to see what the options were. And it's a good option in the sense that the hours are not too bad, but you are committed. You do need to be there in person quite often, even in this Zoom world. If there's eight meetings a year, they probably want you there for five or six of them. So again, not great if you're the traveler. But something I haven't totally discarded but maybe I would look to do that when I settle down, if that ever happens. And then I looked at study. Again, a good friend of mine, like me, had never gone to university. I never went to university, although I studied evenings for relevant professional roles. But I missed the chance to just enjoy learning about things that you're interested in rather than what's forced down you at school. I decided to defer any serious studies. If you ask for things, they come to you because... 
in the end, I did end up doing a lot of studying because of lockdown. So I was stuck in Melbourne during lockdown for about I went for a month trip and ended up there for 20 months. I discovered the world of free education, basically, and things like Coursera and Khan Academy to access, oh gosh, everything from world history to history of art, Dutch art, history of rock and roll, even American history. And I really enjoyed it. It was nice sort of 20 minute chunks of video. You didn't have to pass exams. You could just learn what you were interested in. So I got at least my wish to study, not quite in the way I would have expected, but it's great what's available. And I think people thinking about that kind of thing need to be aware how many apps and facilities are around for people to just learn stuff they're interested in for nothing. Thanks for that. You went through a very detailed analysis of what you wanted to do. And you thought a lot about getting the best of both worlds, the interim work where six months you work, six months off, and then you realize knowing yourself, it's not necessarily going to be six months, you might be all in. So you really wanted to take time off. And that's where you came to the decision to retire. Um, So was it like a decision? All right, I'm going to retire from this day onwards. And this is what retired life looks like. Or did it organically happen? Like, how did that decision take place? Mm, Yes, that word retirement is very tricky, because it makes you feel old. (laughs) I know, certainly people in my generation, it makes you feel like you're on the slippery slope. I used to say I was on a sabbatical, mostly because I originally thought I might do some sort of activity. And I still might, Sherad. I never say never about anything. You just don't know. But I felt at this time I didn't want to work. Maybe I'd put it that way. I wanted to do other things other than working for someone else. I'm a very independent person. I like my freedom. And I spent 39 years working. I started work when I was 18. And I didn't have time off, no kids or anything. So I worked solidly for 39 years. And I have to say I felt a bit like I did when I left school that I've grown out of it. The last couple of years of school, I thought, I'm just too grown up for school. These rules are annoying me and I need to get out. (laughs) And I felt the same way about work. I've done it. But you know what? I'm finished. I'm quite happy to finish. Although I would say that in the first year, I felt a bit guilty about not wanting to work. And I felt I would miss it. And I didn't. But uh, in the end, I decided, hang on a minute, you've worked a long time more than many people work actually in their lives. And the whole point of that was to use that working time and the money you earn to enjoy yourself afterwards. And afterwards has now arrived suddenly. And there it was. That's such an interesting thing, especially for a high achievement person like you, suddenly not being productive and saying, oh, my God, I need to do something. (laughs) And then telling yourself, you know what? You've done a whole lot. You've gone right to the top. This is your time to rest. You can do what you want, and that's fine. I think so, although I have to say it doesn't feel like rest because I'm always mm. I'm a very curious individual, and I'm always doing stuff. Like The other thing is when people say they're bored, I'm never bored. It's true what people say. You wonder how you ever fit work in. There are so many things to do, particularly when you're not locked up, but even when you're locked up, that how you can ever be bored. If you're curious and interested in what's going on around you, there's stuff always to do. So I've not been bored and I haven't missed work at all. <laughs> That is so good to hear. And what were some of the activities that you got involved in? Let's not talk lockdown, but without lockdown, some of the things that you did that quenched your curiosity. I think mostly when I first started traveling, I started writing a blog, actually. And so I did that for about two and a half years. So originally, I thought I'll travel for a year. And then that year went by far too quickly. And I thought, I'll do a bit more. And 
Then it was about two and a half to three years and then lockdown happened. But as soon as I could get started again, back in October last year, I was off again. So I think I'm quite a restless soul. I need to be moving around and I organize. So I'm very organized and I do organize all my travel. I do the research, I do the booking, I do the flights, I decide how I want to travel, where I want to go and who I want to go with. So I'm quite happy being a solo traveler. Again, that wouldn't be for everyone, but I'm quite happy. When I'm in a place, I'm then doing the research of all the things I might be able to do in that place, especially things that may be a bit more off the beaten track. Uh, one of the things I've discovered in all of the traveling that some locations like, like Rome, it was nice. I rented an apartment for a month and that way I could really get into living in the neighborhood. I could find my favorite coffee and gelato place. I could not cram everything in that one typically does in Rome. I could potter around the museums and the galleries and do a few things that I hadn't done before. But you're not in such a rush. When you're working, your travel is very much restricted by the time off and trying to cram as much as you can into each visit. That's not the case now. I can actually take my time and spend longer in places. So yeah, and then catching up with friends is what I spend a lot of time doing as well. I've worked in four continents and about six countries, and I have a lot of friends as a result of that all around the world. So travel's also given me an opportunity to either see them, yeah, where they live, or to meet up with them somewhere they want to go. So even this year, since everyone's desperate to get out again, <laughs> I did meet one, one friend of mine from the UK in Rome for a week. I was on a cruise with some cruise buddies I'd met in the past. I visited a whole load of places in the US with two Canadian friends. I'm just back from a few days in Poland, as you know, where I went with yes. an American friend. And I have a Turkey and Greece visit for next month with an Australian friend. So it's great to meet up with people actually in that context because you get time quality time as they say to spend with them and just chat and catch up and the way you can't do when you're just meeting for a quick meal and I enjoy the journey and the planning often as much as the destination I'm just very organized I love organizing all that kind of stuff and sorting my itinerary out and everything <laughs> Susie that sounds so wonderful your life centers around these two things that you are passionate about and many of us are travel and travel like you said is so different from the travel you do when you're working it's a leisure travel, slow starts, long breakfasts, coffees, walking around, studying places, and then of course, friends. What a beautiful life. One of the things that struck me when I was actually, when I was trying to set this interview with you, typically when I said interviews with people, they said, hey, I have a meeting conflict, I'm traveling on work, I'm doing these things. You said, I can't do it this time because I have a salon appointment. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's Hugely so... <laughs> important. All of those things need to be done. Absolutely. I, I, and I'm sorry, Sharon, but that was the No, <laughs> I love that. That just gives me such a sense of what early retirement could look like. Priorities in life, like you already have in terms of travel, things that you want to do. Can you paint a picture of what days could look like? And I get the sense days are different, but what life could look like right now when you're retired and traveling and where are you living? Where do you go? How do you plan? Just if you could paint a vision of that. I'm a bit obsessed with the number of countries that I can visit between now and death, because that's obviously the end of the road. So I'm up to 124 now and still counting. I'm very keen to just keep extending that as much as I can. I'm usually planned six, eight, 12 months in advance. I don't know where I'm going to be between now and April, for sure, of next year. I'm also trying to add somewhere I haven't been to, if I can or a couple of new countries. So that's always one of my key things to do. I like a mix, as I say, of planning, staying in an apartment. So thank goodness for Airbnb and the equivalents. 
sometimes hotels, sometimes cruises, and sometimes with friends. So I take a mix of that. I like to go back every year to Australia because I spent the last 10 years living there. I have a lot of friends. It's very easy for me to just morph into being there for four or five weeks. So I tend to go, and also the weather's great in January and February. It's a great place to be, as opposed to the Northern Hemisphere. Um, So I nearly always try and aim to go there. I try and aim to go to the US, um, particularly New York, which is another place I lived in and my favorite city in the world. So if I can engineer that, I'm still also trying to catch up on things that I didn't do in 2020 and 21 that I'd booked. One of those was visiting the stands, doing the Silk Route, which I'm hopefully going to do next year to Kazakhstan and and go to Tashkent and Samarkand and all of that kind of stuff. I do like to just keep moving. I actually enjoy airports. I know this is a bit of a shocker, but I do know. I have to say I enjoy them if I can fly business class, not so much if I'm flying economy, I have to be honest. But uh, I do. I like traveling. So I like the journey. Maybe that's how I feel about life generally. So there is no such thing as a typical day. I could be having my hair done, as you quite rightly say. Today, I'm going after this afternoon, I'm going to an exhibit at the Courtauld Gallery on Munch. And then I'm going to see a ballet this evening of South Pacific at Saddle as well. So that could be a typical London day. Sometimes I do actually do nothing, which I do need to remember to do because actually I'm very active. I love to read. And so sometimes I just have to say, you know what, you can just take two hours and do nothing or sit in a coffee bar and read your book or listen to an audible book or whatever it happens to be. Doing that's also important. And then you also have to remember there's still admin. So I think when you go on holiday, the boring things you say, oh, I'll do that when I get home. But when you're living as a sort of permanent itinerant traveler, you still have to pay bills and pay for your insurance and remember to pay the tax people and check things that need checking and all that kind of stuff that you have to do has to be done on the go. So thank God for iPads and phones because it's so much easier to do just about everything online. Absolutely. As you set upon this life, what were the biggest surprises, both pleasant and unpleasant, that you've had? I think biggest surprises, aside from not missing work at all, which was a surprise to me, because I, I thought like, when you've done something for 39 years, you think you're going to miss it. But you did, I didn't at all. Only the people. But I'm again, I've stayed in touch with all the people I want to stay in touch with over the years. So that that bit's still there. I think what surprised me the most, because really for a long time, I just lived out of two suitcases. So for two and a half years, I just had two suitcases that I took everywhere. And it's made me realize how little I need material things. So I think when you're in the work environment, so you're buying all the clothes and the jewelry and blah, blah, blah. And actually, when you've only got two suitcases, first of all, you can't buy everything you buy means you have to chuck something else out. So you've got to be quite disciplined and you realize that you just don't need all that stuff. And I, neither do I need lots of space to feel comfortable. I had an apartment in Melbourne, obviously, where I lived before I was finished working, but I sold that. And so most of the time I'm in a room or occasionally in a one bedroom apartment if I'm renting an apartment, but I don't need more space. And I don't need my own things around me either. I'm not someone that needs to see the photos and the stuff that I have. That's quite a pleasant thing, actually. So I think mostly I get enjoyment from the experience of the moment. If you don't grab things now, then when are you going to do it? You might as well do it now. So that's pretty good. That was a good surprise. I enjoyed writing the blog on my travels. I haven't taken that up again. I tend to post on Instagram and Facebook now, but that was fun because it taught me a new skill, how to write a blog and how to get followers. I thought it would be 
a good way for me to record what I was doing and that I'd look back on it and see what I, where I'd been and what I'd done. But actually, I very rarely look back on it. I realise I'm just not someone who looks backwards. I like now and tomorrow. And further ahead if I'm planning, because you've got to be organised. But I'm not someone, I don't tend to look back at stuff at all. So that was interesting. But I was glad I learned how to do a blog. It gives you the confidence to know you can learn new things. And it also gave me discipline, which I was a bit concerned I might lack when I finished working. So writing the blog on a daily basis, short, but at least it made me do it and think about it. And also I enjoyed photography, especially as I've got more into posting and Instagram. I'm really enjoying how you can make things look and how you can make things attractive travel-wise. So those are good surprises, really. Unpleasant, oh, you know, just again, the reminder that the best laid plans can be decimated when the unexpected happens. In, I'm half German, Sherad, and, and in Germany they have a saying that says, uh, Gott lacht, weil man macht, which roughly translated means God laughs while we make plans. And I think it's, it's a good thing to bear in mind, really. I am an adaptable person, so every time anything was cancelled, I just rebooked it again, and in many cases again and again. Because I really am optimistic and believe it would eventually happen, as indeed it has. Everything does pass in the end. And there are some benefits of getting older where you take things a little bit in a relaxed way. I think I've got, I think I'm Benjamin Button in a way. I think I'm reverse. <laughs> I was a very sensible teenager, very sensible and studying in my 20s while I was working. And as I've got older, I've become more relaxed, less bothered, more freewheeling, probably who I really am, because I can. When you work in a company, you've got to toe the line to some degree and you've got to do what needs to be done. So I think, yes, things happening that you don't expect, but then learning to be adaptable. That's so good. Discipline is one of the things that many people talk about. Eh? When we retire early, we'll just let it go. So it's good to see that you have a few activities that keep you disciplined, like the blog, paying bills. What are the other things that just help you stay focused and disciplined? I think I'm just innately that kind of person, to be honest. It's that German side again. I hate to say it, but I am disciplined. I always like to know it's not that I like every minute planned because I don't but equally I'm often someone who will go how can I put this I'll decide to go for a two-hour walk to an area like I might look on the map of London and say I'll go somewhere I've never been before wherever that might be and and check the neighborhood out that's the discipline bit but once I'm in that place I will just freewheel Or I might go to see one particular thing that I know is there, but then I'll just wander around, just walk down alleyways, just to see what, because you never know what you come up with. And you often find stuff that's very unexpected. And then there's some interesting apps that you can use. I like Atlas Obscura. I don't know if you've come across that one, which tells you all sorts of unusual things that exist in places all around the world. Actually, it's cool. Wacky, unusual things. So sometimes I'll search those out. So the discipline is to say, I will do this. But how I will do it and where it will lead is the freewheeling bit of me. So I try and bring the two together. And I also like this thing of trying something new, writing a blog. You Mm -hmm. mentioned so many interesting apps that you've started using, so many interesting experiences that you've started carving out. You're doing courses, you're reading, you're using your mind in so many other different things. I try to. And I certainly try and keep up with technology as much as I can. I'm very grateful that I'm probably the oldest group that at least had to learn technology at work because people that are 10 years older than me really struggle with a lot of this. I really do try and use technology to 
make life simpler, easier, faster, get rid of the noise of things that you don't really want to spend a lot of time doing while remaining sensible about it. And that includes sometimes not sensible things like playing video games. I do that sometimes mm. too, just because, you know, it's relaxing. But I do love techno. I love apps and what they can do. Anything that makes life simpler and easier gets mm. my vote as far as I'm concerned. That's so inspiring. You're living the life you're meant to live. Like you said, you're living, you're becoming who you are now. You did the hard work to do that. Initially, in your early years, you put in the hard work that enabled you to have this life. And now you're becoming who you're meant to be. And you're learning new things. You're trying new things. And of course, you're enjoying the experiences that you have. That is so inspirational to people listening. Thank you. Are there any things in yourself that you've seen discovered about yourself during this time with the space that have surprised you about yourself? Not really. I've always been very independent. I've known that for a long time. I'm quite happy with my own company, but I'm also quite gregarious. You know, if I do go on a cruise on my own or go somewhere, I'll just start chatting to people. I don't find that surprising. That's one of the benefits of having worked in the corporate world. You get pretty good at making small talk and just chatting to people you don't know and meeting customers and all that kind of thing. But I enjoy it. I'm just interested in people and always have been. And I'll talk to anybody anywhere. But equally, sometimes I'll just go and have a coffee and bury my nose in a book and not talk to anyone. <laughs> That's fine too. I like both. I'm an only child, so I'm used to my own company. I try and get some balance in both of them. Creating a life like this, what planning went into this? In some ways, I've been planning it all my life because my generation, Sherad, when we started work, we were still of an era. You'd work for 40 years, you'd get your defined benefit pension in those days, and then that would be that. So partly that was always in my mind. People at work used to say to me, oh, you work so hard. And what about work-life balance? And I said, I have work-life balance, my work-life balance. First 20 years doing nothing. Next 40 years working very hard. Next 20 years doing nothing. Perfect 50-50. I choose to do that because that suits me. I've always been a kind of jam tomorrow person. I always used to do my homework on a Saturday morning so I could enjoy the rest of the weekend. And so 40 years of work is like the homework so that you can enjoy the rest of your life. It works for me, but I don't have kids and my priorities are different. And so I prefer to put all the effort in at the time I could. I was lucky. I worked in banking. Banking is a well-paid industry. That really helped. I was also lucky because I worked overseas for quite some time. And in those days, Expat assignments meant housing was available, and that enables you to save money. So I'm under no illusions that I'm just also right time, right place has enabled me financially. But I'm also conscious that things are very different now. Nowadays, I expect people are going to work much longer, certainly into their 60s, if not into their 70s, partly because they're going to live longer, partly and they're going to have to fund that longer life. So it sounds great, but you've got to pay for it. <laughs> I think what will happen now is that more people need to start thinking who am I and what do I want out of life? And I'm seeing lots of people change their working patterns, take sabbaticals, which I think are great to experience things like being with young children while they're young. They're not young forever. So if you can take time off knowing that you're still going to be working for much longer and can therefore build up the income to have eventually the retirement you want, then I say go for it. Other people will say, oh, I don't know, I'm just going to do everything I can, but like I did, and then enjoy the rest at the end of it. We're all different. So I think the hard thing is maybe looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, what do I want out of my life now and in the future? And how do I trade off each of those things? I'm not sure I totally believe in the you can have it all at once. 
I think you can have it all if you think about it, but you're not necessarily going to get everything at the same time. And you may have to compromise certain things. I have to confess, I like to travel in style, in reasonable style. That costs money. Other people are quite happy not to travel at all or to travel with a backpack on their back. And that's fine. And therefore, what you plan and try and achieve financially to do that will differ from person to person. You just have to be realistic, I think, about it. And often when people are thinking of early retirement, especially people my age, Mm. 45, or people Mm -hmm. even at the ages of 40, they start trying to get some number in mind. Hey, I need to make this much and then I think I can retire. Do you think, firstly, how important is a number? Is there a number that you had in mind? (laughs) And beyond a number, are there other things that people need to consider as they're thinking of early retirement? I don't really think of retirement necessarily as something you do that's binary. It needs to be thought of as transitioning from working full-time in a traditional environment to other ways of work and other ways of living as well. So that you're actually thinking, how do I get to the point? Because a lot of people would struggle. I didn't, but I know a lot of people would struggle with stopping work and have struggled on a Friday and waking up on a Monday and having nowhere to go and no one who values their opinion and no one asking what they should Mm. do. That's quite stressful for a lot of people. So I'm a big one for a lot of people to transition, to think about how they could work different hours or take time off, come back into the workforce. So let's say people in their late 50s and 60s are really valuable to come back and help to mentor and teach younger people coming through organizations, but they don't want to work full time. But they do want to do something useful. I think companies are going to start to be much more amenable to that, particularly as the younger generation is reducing and they're going to need to look towards older people, I think, for support. They can't even fill jobs now as it is. But yet there's a massive grey market that's desperately underutilised, particularly I would have to say the female grey market. People in that position need to start to sell themselves a little bit and say, hey, here's what I can do for you. And I think companies will be more flexible than maybe they've been in the past to say, great, let's go for it. And so I think this early retirement to me is more of a transitionary arrangement where you might be in and out of the workforce, doing different things, taking time out until eventually you stop working completely. And that will depend on you. I know people in their 80s that still work because they love it. It gives them a reason to get up in the morning. And that's fine, too. I love the thought on transition because it's mm-hmm. not a retirement and you're retiring, but you're transitioning. And that could look like anything depending on who you are. I think also, Sharad, never say never. As I said to you earlier, I don't say that I would never work again. Will I ever work full time in a corporate? No. But will I ever work again? I might. If someone had something interesting that I wanted to do, and I probably wouldn't do it so much because of the money, but I would just do it for the fun of it or because it's interesting. I might. As I say, you never know until interesting things come along, whether you want to do them. Absolutely. If you have to do it again, will there be anything you do differently? Yeah, I I talk to myself and say, don't feel guilty about not working. (laughs) Mm. Mm. You don't need to feel guilty. You work bloody hard. And actually, you really don't need to feel guilty. But um, other than that, no, I consider myself very fortunate to, to live the life I lead. As we close this off, is mm-hmm. there anything else you would like to tell people in their 40s who are thinking of retirement, early retirement? I know we've discussed a bit, but anything else you'd like to leave them with? I think take advice from everyone. One of the things I used to find at work is that people are woeful at networking. Use the contacts you have to get different opinions and approaches and talk to financial planners. 
Do the maths, build a bit of a cushion in for the unexpected. Never forget about the importance of health. You can have all the money and finances in the world if you're not healthy, it's for nothing. But use your contacts and network. You'd be surprised how many you have. Pick up the phone. Most people will give you the benefit of their advice for a cup of coffee, I found. So talk to them. Talk as many people as you can because you'll get different perspectives that you maybe haven't thought of. That's very useful advice, Susie. Thank you very much for such a good conversation. Before we go, one last question that I yes. ask everyone. At the end of your life, how would you know you've lived a good life? Maybe I'll have hit 150 countries. <laughs> on your way there, on your way there. On my way there, on my way there. And hopefully I know I didn't do anything bad to anyone that, that has hurt them. I would like to think that. I'm very, I'm very down to earth about these things when you're gone and you're forgotten in a hundred years. So I don't, I, I used to always be asked about what legacy do you want to leave? And I, it used to make me laugh and maybe it's an English thing, but I would say, hey, most of us will never leave any legacy because within a hundred years of death, no one will be alive that remembers us. But so if I was William Shakespeare or someone, yes, he left a legacy, but the most, and that's okay, who cares? It doesn't really matter. So I, I can't get too excited about these things. That's just me personally. <laughs> sure thing, Susie. And you're living true to who you are. That's so beautiful to see. There's so many takeaways from our conversation today, but my biggest takeaway is you've preloaded your life with hard work yes. and now you can be who you really want to be. You're happy. You're living the life that you'd like to. You're truly an inspiration to everyone, Susie. Thank you very much for your time. And I've really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you. Thank you, Sharad. And I enjoyed it very much too. Thanks so much. Thank you, Susie, for such an uplifting conversation. You've given many of us inspiration on how to think about transitioning towards slowing down in life. If you listening enjoyed this episode, you could consider listening to episode 24, where we talk to stand-up comedian Papa CJ on how to convert a passion into a career, and also episode 2, where we discuss achievement versus fulfillment. Here's one action step we could consider. What could our retired life look like? Many of us think of retirement as going from 1 to 0. However, like Susie mentioned, there are many options to transitioning from a full-on career. What type of transition works best for us? What could it look like in terms of location, activities, flow of the year, etc.? It's good to have a starting thought and then evolve this with time. Once we have a good sense of this, we can think of the best way to plan for transitioning from a full-time career. Enjoy the exercise. That's it for today's episode. We will be back with another episode two weeks from now. I hope you join us for that. Till next time, have a wonderful day ahead. Bye-bye.